But there is something even more interesting that happens with mining and electricity. Not only does Bitcoin mining add revenue to existing locations of energy production, but it also makes other previously unprofitable energy sources profitable. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? We have an awesome guest post from Bitcoin Magazine today talking about the resilience of the Bitcoin network and how the claim of, well, what happens when the power goes out kind of misses the whole point of the Bitcoin system. It is titled, You Don't Have to Worry About Bitcoin's Reliance on Utilities, and it is by Rollo McFlugel. Um, who, if you are not following him on Twitter or listening to the Rollo and Slappy Show, you're really missing out. Um, before we get into it, thanks to Hexa Wallet, an awesome feature-packed mobile wallet for holding your Bitcoin. Uh, they're really making a lot of regular updates and adding features. Uh, I highly encourage checking them out at guyswan.com slash Hexa, H-E-X-A. And also to our other sponsor, Bitbox a Bitcoin hardware wallet focused on security and simplicity, which kind of go hand in hand, honestly. It is, it is the Bitcoin way. Um, uh, check them out at guyswan.com slash bitbox. And yesterday's chat, actually, with their CEO, Douglas, um, Douglas Backham, was just really awesome. Like These guys are serious engineers who have built uh, uh, this company and this product, so uh, highly recommended. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into today's article, again by Rollo McFlugel from the endlessly entertaining Rollo and Flappy, Slappy Show. Uh, gonna have a fun guy's take with this one. Titled, You Don't Have to Worry About Bitcoin's Reliance on Utilities. Imagine what life would be like if there were no electricity or communications networks available. How many days of food do you have at your house? How much cash do you have on hand? Can you go out to try to buy up what's left at the stores that still have their doors open? What else would you be worried about? What would you prioritize? What would you want to make sure you had on hand to survive indefinitely in a world without electricity and communications networks? What would you do if the world were suddenly knocked back hundreds of years? Fortunately, this scenario that I have laid out is nearly impossible. It would require some suspension of disbelief. How could all electricity and communications networks be knocked offline at the same time without hope of rebooting them? The chances of such an event happening approach zero. But if such a world were to come to fruition, it would represent an indescribably massive step for the entire world's way of life in the worst direction. So much of our lives is existentially tied to the internet and other communications networks. Bricking them would send the world into chaos. Try to think of a business or organization that isn't immensely dependent on access to electricity and the internet. You probably can't. But is that a bad thing? Progress can't be destroyed. I would argue that it is not. 
Our standards of living have been massively improved by the development and continued increasing consumption of energy, all while the actual work exerted by the collection of human bodies on the physical world remains the same, holding aside population growth. We can manipulate nature around us to make our lives considerably easier and more enjoyable without changing anything in our physical forms. We can only claim to be just a little healthier and stronger than our ancestors because we've exploited our environments in such a way that we can use tools to save our backs and improve our health with better foods and medicines. Primitive man kicked off this process by developing simple machines like ramps, wheels, levers, pulleys, etc., and putting energy sources like wood and waterways to work. Clever people with knacks for mechanics who were willing to defer some consumption today in order to reap the benefits of future consumption, started to build more complicated systems with these simple tools and ideas. Suddenly, Mr. Caveman could kiss his wife goodbye in the morning and expect to be more productive in his workday by orders of magnitude, despite putting in these same hours of work and the same physical effort. Imagine that you are Mr. Caveman, and your caveman neighbor, Grum, observes your use of your grand, complicated machinery made of pulleys, levers, and wheels that you used to do whatever cavemen needed to do back then. One day, Grum says, Your thingamajig seems great and all, but what happens when one of those ropes on your pulleys breaks or one of your wheels cracks? That whole setup is going to be a useless pile of junk. Would that convince you to stop what you're doing and be more like Grum? Or would you say, well, I've thought about what happens when stuff breaks, so I've stocked up on spare parts. In the worst-case scenario, if something serious goes wrong, I've been so productive with this machine, I could actually get by for a bit without running it while I do what I need to repair it. And as you walk away from the conversation, you'll probably mumble, you're such an idiot, Grum. When things go wrong, the capital and the fruits of its production that already exist in the world do not disappear. They can be repaired or broken down and repurposed. If some catastrophe like a tornado completely obliterates them, the knowledge to produce what has been destroyed still remains, and what was lost can be rebuilt with all of the lessons learned from the previous iterations. In the many thousands of years of human existence, no event has been so bad that humanity was unable to recover and continue to build off of what was previously built. The proof of this should be obvious. The Bitcoin Network's Resilience Let's return to today. Bitcoin continues to grow and pull more of the world's wealth into its network, challenging the hegemony of government's Kantianism-powered fiat. It's on a crash course for global monetization, returning the world to a hard money standard like it has never seen before. More and more people are becoming aware of it, this includes the Grums of the world. One of the criticisms you'll hear a lot is the idea that Bitcoin has a critical flaw because it relies on the internet and electricity to be useful. Obviously, it is true that if you lose electricity or the ability to access the network, you would be unable to use Bitcoin, assuming physical manifestations of UTXOs wouldn't exist. Once your utilities get back online, your node will ping the other nodes in the network to figure out how far behind it is and start catching back up. Given that an average internet connection and simple hardware like a Raspberry Pi and SSD hard drive can sync the entire blockchain in a few days, 
even being offline for a week wouldn't require much time to catch back up. Not to mention that there are ways to still use Bitcoin without the fully synced, fully validating node. Bitcoin's reliance on electricity creates an incentive for people to secure their access to electricity. It's no different than any other tool or technology that relies on electricity. What grocery store manager, for example, would want to risk losing tens of thousands of dollars worth of inventory due to a power outage? He would want to purchase insurance coverage for his store to protect himself against such loss. If he hadn't done so already, the insurance company offering him a policy would inform him that he could get lower rates by installing emergency backup generators. This would lower the risk of spoilage, and the benefits of doing so are shared by both the grocery store and the insurance company, not to mention the manufacturer of the generators. Likewise, businesses and other entities that use Bitcoin would make sure that in the event of the disruption of their services, they would have the ability to continue operations. Gasoline or diesel-powered generators would be obvious choices, as many are designed to switch on as soon as an outage is detected. Coupled with an uninterruptible power supply, a UPS, these backup systems are currently readily available at relatively low cost for anyone who wants to keep their node running and phones and other hardware with connected wallets charged during disruptions. In the event that the UPS is also down during the power outage, connectivity would still be available via cellular communications networks. Wi-Fi hotspots would be useful for keeping local nodes connected. And let's consider the purpose of a full node. It keeps a copy of the ledger as it gets updated to check that the person claiming to send you Bitcoin actually sends it to you. If you do not run your own node, your software is pinging someone else's node, which may or may not be sending you truthful information. A well-coordinated attack against you could feature the sender working with the node operator that your wallet relies on to trick you into thinking you've received Bitcoin and completing your side of a trade. The risk is only on the receiver of Bitcoin, not the sender, so the loss of access to your node would not pose any risk if you're just sending Bitcoin. However, it is unlikely that anyone in a Bitcoin economy would only be spending, so there is a need to have access to a node without requiring trust. It's important to remember that the wallet on your full node is not necessarily the wallet from which you're going to be sending and receiving transactions. The node may only be checking the validity of transactions and updates to the ledger. Therefore, those with concerns about keeping their use of Bitcoin trustless can run multiple nodes in different locations to spread out their risk in the case of outages. As long as there is a way to connect to one of them, a person can easily create redundancy. Maybe they run a node at the place of his business and another in his home. Additional layers of protection can be added with a little bit of security trade-off by adding more nodes from trusted business associates, friends or family like Uncle Jim, and the use of cloud computing platforms to leverage their near 100% uptime. The more geographically distributed these nodes are, the more unlikely you'll be left on an island having to trust a stranger's node. In the case of a wider outage of typical internet and cellular networks, Bitcoin's low bandwidth requirements make it feasible to run via satellite, mesh networks, and shortwave radio. These services would also presumably be useful for any secondary layers built on top of the on-chain layer. Once again, the ability to create redundant systems and layers of protection against predictable problems helps to build a robust system for everyone.
The Importance of Securing Electricity So far, we've only discussed issues related to the individual who is sending and receiving block and transaction data. These people typically are not responsible for updating the ledger, which falls on the miners who have their own sets of challenges. Fortunately, the connectivity solutions already identified for individual users would be very similar for miners, since they are sending and receiving the same types and amounts of data. The big difference for miners, however, is securing electricity. They do a massive amount of computing, and that computing requires a massive amount of electricity. A large chunk of miners' ability to be profitable is access to cheap electricity, especially as ASICs continue to commoditize. As miners set up their facilities and soak up the available electricity supply, new miners entering the market can't simply set up right next to an existing miner if doing so drives up the cost of electricity to make mining unprofitable. Miners must get creative in the ways they capture their competitive advantage. We often take for granted that we could just find a hole in the wall of our home and plug into it to get some electricity. But how did the electricity get there? There's no electricity delivery man who drops off a box of electricity at your doorstep every week. The electricity needs to be produced from a power plant where it takes some energy source, such as stored energy in coal or the kinetic energy of a river, converts it to a mechanical energy, and converts the mechanical energy into electrical energy. That electrical energy is sent through a maze of cables and wires and other equipment to make its way to each of the customers serviced by that power plant. This network, or grid, often has a number of power plants feeding it, which provide varying amounts of inputs to produce a steady and reliable output based on demand. That demand isn't static. It can change drastically depending on the time of year and the time of day. As businesses and residents move in and out of a geographical area, the electricity demands will change as well. But as a general rule, human progress is strongly correlated to energy consumption. So as we move forward in time, our energy consumption tends to increase. Power plants can and have improved efficiencies in electricity production to improve their outputs, but higher demand often means expansions of existing plants and the construction of new ones. Yet, for a variety of reasons, some good and some bad, such as economic, political, social, environmental, legal, etc., projects to add supply aren't always feasible. The real estate in proximity to the power market might just not be available, and the best site available might be too far to make it economical when the cost of transmission are added in, or maybe fluctuating demand would cause the plant to have to idle for extended periods of time. Regardless of the reasons, all else being equal, fewer power plants, i.e. less electricity supply, means higher electricity costs. Likewise, high demand means higher prices. For this reason, you shouldn't expect to see miners operating facilities on Main Street during normal business hours. What you will see, however, is miners taking advantage of quirks in the supply and demand cycles. Since power plants don't want to idle their equipment and prefer to keep things steadily humming along, but don't have a convenient, easy way to silo excess electricity, miners can bid low prices during periods of low demand. Suddenly, the power plants have an additional revenue stream 
that fills the valleys when their regular customers aren't consuming much. The incentives might line up so well that power plants can even install their own mining facilities like Greenwich Generation in upstate New York did recently. Bitcoin will always find power. As mentioned, miners tend to go where electricity is cheap, and that includes places like hydroelectric power plants that, by their nature, often produce electricity above the capacity needed for the market they serve. But there's something even more interesting that happens with mining and electricity. Not only does Bitcoin mining add revenue to existing locations of energy production, but it also makes previously unprofitable energy sources profitable. Transmission and distribution costs of electricity can be significant, and great sources of energy are often in remote locations, far enough away from existing infrastructure to make them unprofitable to tap. Bitcoin, on the other hand, doesn't need all that infrastructure because it exists as digital information. Therefore, anyone can submit blocks to be added to Bitcoin's ledger as long as they have connectivity to the network. This is one of the reasons why keeping block sizes small is so critical. If miners not only had to submit blocks, tens or hundreds of megabytes in size, but also had to receive new blocks every 10 minutes, then it might be too much for the bandwidth of a satellite internet connection to handle. Or with all the competition for solving blocks, latency caused by the weak connection would result in them losing the race to saturate the network with their block first. Fortunately, the actual arrangement results in more energy being used to solve blocks, which increases Bitcoin's hash rate, which makes the network more secure. And for the purposes of this article, having mining facilities spread across the far reaches of the Earth makes the network more robust against electrical and communications outages. Mining operations are popping up in places like Iceland, where the plentiful geothermal heat is used to power mining rigs. Methane gas that was previously wasted by burning it with flares at remote oil fields because it was unprofitable to capture and sell is powering generators that create electricity to mine Bitcoin, turning trash into treasure. So even an EMP blast taking out an entire region's electrical equipment wouldn't come close to spelling doom for Bitcoin. It would mean there would be a loss of hashing power until those affected could get their equipment back online. Maybe it means that difficulty gets adjusted downward for a time period, or maybe other miners can switch on their rigs to fill some of the gap caused by less competition. As more wealth is engulfed by the Bitcoin network, incentives to ensure that the output of capital is maximized are created. Better infrastructure would be built around the massive investments to make sure that profitability continues into the future to the benefit of everyone who touches Bitcoin. With deep pockets and clear vision, the industry leaders will take the reins away from the governments and their crony corporate friends to build and maintain better electrical grids and communications networks, since the inadequacies of the latter will be unceremoniously revealed by a wealth transfer, this time driven by market forces. The fiat world, with its instant gratification, will be no match for the hard money low time preference world ushered in by Bitcoin. If there is one more, but what if, to cover, let's consider an incredible solar flare that engulfs the entire Earth and destroys all of the electrical infrastructure like we discussed in the beginning. 
would that cause a failure of Bitcoin? Maybe it would, unless someone is keeping paper copies of each block and then digitize them again. So you've got me. Bitcoin might get destroyed in a cataclysmic event that would end the world as we know it. But that sounds like an argument for Bitcoin, not against it. We can sit here and think up wondrous scenarios that would destroy any system or institution regardless of how fantastic and unlikely they may be. If that's what it takes to defeat Bitcoin, then I will take it every single time. What is more robust than a form of money that will survive unless the earth itself is destroyed along with it? This is a guest post by Rollo McFlugel. Opinions expressed are entirely his own and do not necessarily reflect those of Bitcoin Incorporated or Bitcoin Magazine. <laughs> All right, so this was a really great little piece. Um, and uh, I probably have a little bit of pushback, but just really does kind of highlight, I guess you could say the absurdity, absurdity of that claim that, oh, if there's no electricity, Bitcoin doesn't work. It's like, well, yeah. Neither does your phone, neither does the internet, neither does everything that we depend on today. And to use that as an excuse not to use it, I mean, literally, what about that argument can you not make about the internet? Like, should I, if I turned around and said, oh, you, sh you can't use the internet, you shouldn't be using the internet, you realize that if the electricity goes out, then the internet doesn't work. And what would you, what would you be like, oh, shit, I just need to throw this smartphone into the trash. Of course not. But let's dig a little bit deeper into it. But before we do, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor real quick. I'm going to get a drink of water and we will be right back. Which is Hexa Wallet, H-E-X-A. And, uh, you know, inevitably, most people hold their first Bitcoin on their mobile phone. And honestly, there are a lot of dangerous and scammy wallets out there. So a really good one to use is Hexa Wallet. It's non-custodial has multiple accounts, has built-in batching so you can send multiple transactions at once and save a lot on fees. It has a seedless backup system where you actually split your keys up across contacts and uh, multiple locations so that even if you lose your phone, you don't lose your Bitcoin. And they are in beta, so there are tons of new features and things being added and updated all the time. So check them out at GuySwan, that's swan with two N's, uh, dot com slash hexa, and you can find out all about them. So one of the fundamental ideas here that he's, that uh, Rollo's really getting at is basically one of the core concepts behind Bitcoin is that the reason it is designed the way it is, is to create a network that is resilient against any number of nodes, miners, participants, servers, etc., going offline or coming online in unpredictable and random fashion. I mean, the nature of it being decentralized um, is the fact that we don't know who's all going, who all is going to be online or offline at any given time. Anybody can freely join or leave the network. This is kind of one of those key characteristics of decentralization. Um, and the brilliance of Bitcoin's design is that it, it can retain and achieve consensus in spite of this. That even if a third of the nodes get knocked offline, uh, Bitcoin doesn't really notice. Anybody who is still connected uh, will not recognize or will have no need to think about or worry about the fact that those nodes might be offline. And we actually saw this very recently with the, um, 
uh, even with minors, even though it will, you know, create, um, tend to create a higher backlog of transactions because blocks will come in slower, even a huge portion of miners going offline is not detrimental to the system. There is a there is a adjustment built into the protocol to account for exactly that sort of thing happening and uh, having Bitcoin recover very gracefully from such a huge disruption. I think it was like 40%, 30 or 40% of the hash power. Like a massive shift happened because of huge redistributions of hash rate within China um, because uh, there are a lot of areas that, um, you know, basically based on the season that should be profitable and, you know, you always can't depend on it. And then there's also like regulations and stuff. I think there are a handful of factors actually that caused it all to happen at once. Um, but, uh, but it was a huge swath of the hash power that had to move um, from a uh, big area in China that was reliant on hydroelectric power. But basically, we had slow blocks for a couple of days, um, and there, I mean, it was kind of a nothing burger. If you weren't paying attention to it, you wouldn't have known. Maybe you would have noticed that your fees were a little bit higher um, if you were sending Bitcoin transactions. But the fact that I'm, uh, you know, stay, keep everything on lightning, I, I didn't even really notice. It's only because I keep up with it uh, that, um, you know, it was something to even pay attention to. And that's kind of the beauty of the system is that it self-corrects. It adjusts for such a massive reallocation of resources and hash power within the network um, rather elegantly. And just from a user standpoint, like if we're talking about nodes, which Rollo hits in this uh, in the article, is just uh, he has a quote here that I saved. Um, Once your utilities get back online, your node will ping the other nodes in the network to figure out how far behind it is and start catching up. And, you know, that's how does how the network works if there's any sort of a disconnection or um uh, loss of communication at any one point you reconnect the network you check all the data who has the the longest valid block uh, uh, longest valid chain and uh the, that's the one you start working from you resync to the head of the chain and everything's back to normal and if you didn't receive or send a transaction uh, in that time, well, then, you know, you're basically back, you're basically good to go immediately. You don't really need uh, the chain tip yet unless you're receiving or sending transactions. But in the end, as long as there is a copy of the blockchain available, you know, you still have your coins um, and it's, it's distributed all over the world. So the likelihood that that data is going to be lost in any, uh, in any scenario is extremely unlikely. And basically what Rollo says is that it's, you know, basically some sort of a solar flare that just wipes out all electrical communications, computer networks across the entire world. That's pretty much, that's pretty much the scenario in which we really have to be concerned about Bitcoin. It's like, well, okay, that seems like an acceptable trade-off to go ahead and be like, all right, well, let's use Bitcoin then. But this is actually really important to um, this is something I talk about a lot is just why the data should be constrained at the consensus layer, at the layer that determines who owns what and uh, that um, is there to be resilient, that has to adjust for people coming and going offline uh, and, uh, and, and determines the rules of the system, the underlying accountability, auditability, and structure of this entire financial network and, and system that will be built on top of it. That network necessarily, to be resilient, to be robust against these sorts of failures, needs a small data stream. So 
uh, a great example. I think it was BSV, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been Bcash. I can't remember. One of the forks of Bitcoin um, uh, was having 20 megabyte blocks recently. And literally the 20 megabyte block, which is nothing in comparison to the overall scaling problem, they were taking nearly 10 full minutes just to validate the block, which means that all they could do, all you could do on that network while it's producing blocks that large was barely keep up with it. And if you were mining, you basically could not mine. That, that's the whole block time. So you essentially can't validate and be a profitable miner. You just have to accept blocks as they come in. And if they have invalid data, well, then that's a risk you're taking because otherwise you're not even playing the game. The other one, the other person has the entire block time head start, which means that you're not even participating if you actually validate. That's at 20 megabytes. That's nothing. When we're talking about global payments uh, throughput, that's a that is a drop in the that's a drop in the ocean. And it literally risks the entire consensus layer's security and resilience against any sort of failure. So if you're barely keeping up with the current state of the chain, what happens when you're a week behind and you've had a week of 20 megabyte blocks? You just, you're just, your node goes offline for a week and it never comes back, ever. You know, God forbid you have to sync from the very beginning. You have a hard drive failure or something. Then the gig's up, then just no nodes. And that's when you end up on, you know, relying on Infura and one other node for the entire network. And if they go down, everything's thrown into chaos. And this is something uh, Rollo hits in the article as well, is that in the case of a wider outage of typical internet and cellular networks, this is a quote, um, Bitcoin's low bandwidth requirements make it feasible to run via satellite, mesh networks, and, and shortwave radio. These services would also presumably be useful for any secondary layers built on top of the on-chain layer. Once again, the ability to create redundant systems and layers of protection against predictable problems helps to build a robust system for everyone. And this just on the simple nature of decentralization and alternative networks, um, the reliance on the internet itself, this is something that Bitcoin can boast that none of the other networks can. It is the only one that has a dedicated satellite infrastructure that basically hits the entire globe that you can fully sync, that you can broadcast transactions over, and that you can use lightning over. And this is as Bitcoin consumes more and more energy, um, uh, as Bitcoin consumes more and more value, excuse me, no energy too, um, but uh, as it consumes more value, the incentives and the, the necessity to have these alternative infrastructures are going to grow in a massive way. And only because of those data constraints, only because of the, the limitations to make consensus and validation easy and cheap to do, will we actually be able to preserve and continually fund all of this alternative infrastructure. If it takes massive amounts of bandwidth, the ability to set up a satellite network could take orders of magnitude more capital in order to do so. And it immediately puts the entire network at uh, greater risk of bifurcation in the case of like a government shutdown or, uh, you know, a, a country's firewall or um, any sort of attack, really. Um, and of course, uh, a huge problem if there is 
a major internet line cut. You know, say the you know fiber optics across the Atlantic or the Pacific or something like that. The fact that Bitcoin can run over old satellite technology is actually just using old uh, uh, cable TV broadcasting. Uh, that's the that's the um, actual protocol being used on the satellite network right now. Um, and again, shortwave radio, you can actually use low bandwidth, um, like old uh, analog TV bands that basically are out of use. Um, they can actually be used to transmit. They're, they're dense, just dense enough that you can transmit um, Bitcoin data over long distances. At terabyte blocks, you can't do that. You can't even come close to that. This is one of those things that specifically Bitcoin has taken account for and uh, that the uh, kind of the ethos or the engineering around it is in the case of extremely adversarial scenarios, in the case of when things go terribly wrong, can we make it survive? Rather than while things are as good as they can be, what can we pack it full of to get every ounce of uh, uh, capacity we can out of it and, you know, everything be damned if you know things get a little bit crappy for a little while let's not think about that let's just push it under the rug and uh kind of on his point though that um you know bitcoin is not reliant on utilities i would probably clarify that a big part of it like obviously it's reliant on energy um but i might better define it that it's not reliant on the electrical the electricity grid um, and that's one thing that I think people don't realize. Um, he has a really good point that um, uh, higher demand for electricity, like like specifically, we, we talk about um, the um, Nick Carter's great piece that we read not too long ago, the last word on Bitcoin's energy consumption. And he has that wonderful analogy of um, uh, imagine all of like a topographical map um, with peaks and troughs uh, uh, of the entire world and accept that the peaks and troughs are where energy prices are really high and really low um is that bitcoin mining because it's mobile because all it needs is any sort of internet connection and obviously it can just run over satellite um and uh, because it can easily be cut on at any time and then immediately cut off and uh you know it's um what's what's the word uh it's temporarily independent as to when it's needed like so you can't really do that with like a server farm like you can't just cut it off one day because like oh well we don't have any excess energy right now so we're just going to shut out shut off all these servers and then my website goes down or the podcast is no longer downloadable for like six hours and i'm like wait what is happening you know like that needs to be accessible when the user needs it not when there's excess energy whereas bitcoin can be freely cut on and off at any time all the time and it doesn't really matter they can contribute to the bitcoin network while they have excess energy they can cut it off while they don't um and this is why things like flared natural gas um can actually be captured this is why um when there is low demand for energy and uh you know a large power plant wants to keep an extra buffer in reserve because they don't know when everybody's going to cut on their ac units all at the same time or their heat or uh you know everybody cuts on netflix or something um, uh, because they need a buffer. They need to be producing more power than is demanded because people are going to be cutting on and using more power. Um, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin mining is an excellent tool to offload that that simply nothing else can really fit the bill of. 
So uh, Nick Carter's brilliant analogy, um, just simple um, imagery, was that uh, so all the peaks and the troughs are the high energy prices and the low energy prices all over the globe. Imagine you poured water all over this globe and it fills in all the troughs everywhere where the price of energy is low. And he said, that is Bitcoin. That is what Bitcoin does is it basically plays arbitrage between the areas where the demand is high and the demand is low and where the um, access to energy is high or the access to energy is low. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a great tool in being able to reallocate and provide energy sources, surplus energy, that wasn't tappable before. Um, and the, the clip that I put at the beginning of this is that it makes previously unprofitable sources of energy profitable. If you can provide it a third of the time to the customers um, that need it, uh, you might have shut it down in any other instance because for two-thirds of the time, it's just bleeding money. It's just a cost. But now if those two-thirds, you can just cut the price down by 50% and sell it to Bitcoin miners, well, then now you can turn that energy source back on. And the entire, the entire grid and energy production in general becomes far more robust because you have this tool available. But uh, he says in this quote, uh, Rollo does, is that uh, so high demand means higher prices. He says, for this reason, you wouldn't expect to see, or you sh excuse me, you shouldn't expect to see, and you don't, uh, miners operating facilities on Main Street during normal business hours. What you will see, however, is miners taking advantages of quirks in the supply and demand cycles. And that's what I was talking about with, like, as a buffer. Um, but he also gets into, in that same section, about tapping into energy that can't be can't be used in any other way that's just completely remote isn't even attached to a grid and that's kind of the thing is that like if the electrical grid shuts down um uh because of you know some uh, large utilities failure or um uh you know some something going out you know whatever the scenario is let's say it's a hurricane or something like that if you look at the major mining facilities they are literally like attached to energy production facilities like they're at the places like like you know parked basically next to the dams in uh, China. They are uh, tapped into geothermal power plants in Iceland. They are literally generators sitting at the foot of an oil well that's uh, flaring off natural gas. Those things aren't reliant on the electrical grid because they are installed before it even gets to the grid. So if the whole grid goes down, those are the only things that are still going to be running. And all they need is any sort of communications network, whether it be, um, you know, hopefully there would be a robust, like, you know, possibly shortwave radio um, uh, network. Uh, maybe they connect to uh, uh, the satellite network, but uh, the backup generator systems and stuff on cell phone towers and cell communication, they are uh, far more resilient in the case of like grid shutdowns because uh, they're so much more distributed and uh, a lot of them already do uh, backup on uh, like solar power and uh, backup generators and stuff like, you know, it's one of the few things that unless there's a really terrible situation uh, like, you know, the tsunami that just wipes out a whole island and hits their tower as well, um, that cell signal is actually one of the few things that's still accessible. But again, I think um, uh, things like you see uh, with... Uh, Aviation, things that are like highly infrastructure dependent, or, or I guess you could say they're, they're critical systems and uh, financial networks have these same things. They have dedicated 
uh, infrastructure and lines that are explicit to uh, their means or, or their uh, needs for communication, um, uh, emergency services and uh, government communication. Like basically they have dedicated infrastructure that doesn't run on you know, everybody's, you know, it doesn't run over Time Warner servers and, you know, AT&T and basic retail internet. They run their own uh, infrastructure. And um, specifically because of, you know, potential scenarios like that to be able to route around uh, those sorts of problems or a huge bifurcation in the network. And I think Bitcoin uh, is absolutely primed for that. And the incentives are incredibly strong for that to continue. Um, and the the obvious example of this is the fact that we already have it, um, that we already have uh, a lot of development happening in that. We have a satellite network for this exact purpose and that we continue to see development in this way. And I think we will continue to see a lot of uh, um, investment towards that. You know, people want to protect their investment. And as this becomes more critical to the the whole financial system to the global to global finance and people are heavily um uh you know like in people's entire uh capital allocation is in uh the bitcoin system or reliant on the bitcoin system to be moved and uh, uh proven i genuinely think there will be tons of backup and uh redundant infrastructure for this thing and luckily, I think miners really are already in a position where um, they're one of the least to worry about it. You know, they don't plug in at the end of the line. You know, they don't, people aren't, I mean, there are some miners who do, obviously, um, but the percentage is tiny in comparison to the whole, uh, probably negligible, of people who plug it in in their house and use consumer, like, end-of-the-line electricity to run an ASIC. To mine for Bitcoin, and you know, Rollo really hits it kind of at the beginning. Is the just the idea around that sort of a criticism of Bitcoin? Um, is that and you know the same example I used about the internet? Um, I love the you know Grum or whatever in the caveman is that you have some sort of a contraption that's doing all your work for you or making it incredibly easy for you to do tasks that were very hard previously. And, uh, you know, they just come in and they'd be like, something in there is going to break. What are you going to do then? It's like, yeah, well, you know, right now I'm getting 10 times as much productivity and value out of my work, out of, uh, you know, the, the things that I am producing right now, that if this thing does stop working for a short span, I'm so much wealthier for having used it that I can actually afford to repair it. That I have backup supplies and I can pause my operating. Uh, I can pause my production for two days while I fix this thing and then get it back online and I'm fine. It's specifically because of savings, because of um, uh, a stored wealth that I'm able to recover something like this. And think about how much incentive there would be to get back your stored wealth for someone to basically lend you um, uh, resources, if there was a massive, uh, 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 basically hit to the Bitcoin network or half the miners go offline or something like that, or the network becomes accessible, for, inaccessible for some short span of time due to whatever reason, imagine if the amount of capital on it is in the trillions of dollars, how many, how much capital would be easily lent 
to restore that infrastructure, knowing that you could get it back if you could turn the thing back on. Everybody would working would be working. That would be the first thing to come back. So really great piece. Um, uh, I thought this was a just a great little thought experiment on that claim that uh, all too often comes up when people want to find some really bizarre reason as to uh, why Bitcoin won't work. They really kind of dig into the hypotheticals there. And I want to hit Rollo's uh, final thoughts in this again in just a second because I love it. But uh, real quick, a thanks to Hexa Wallet and Bitbox for supporting Bitcoin Audible one more time. I know you guys know Hexa. And if you need a good mobile wallet to avoid the scammy ones, um, uh, guyswan.com slash Hexa is where you can check that one out. And the Bitbox O2 is a super simple hardware wallet for those of you who are ready to get into their cold storage of Bitcoin savings. And that is at guyswan.com slash bitbox. So love to uh, Bitcoin Magazine for always hosting the best news and articles in Bitcoin. And a thanks to Rollo for uh, both for writing this article, but also he is a supporter of the podcast and he is one of the anointed audio knots in our, uh, our patron telegram crew. And it's just awesome, generally awesome having him around. Um, uh, now, that said, if you become a patron and join the crew, that does not mean I will read your article on the show. It has to be something that I want to dig into, and it has to be really good. Luckily, this was both. So thank you to him. Um, and uh, like I said, though, his final thoughts in this article were just spot on, is that the scenario that really brings Bitcoin, like definitely brings Bitcoin to its knees, the one that knocks out the satellite network, the electrical grids, uh, the miners plug directly into flaring natural gas. The miners plug directly into geothermal plants and hydroelectric facilities. All the nodes wipes every single hard drive that's got a copy of the blockchain is when a massive, unstoppable solar flare wipes ac across the planet and obliterates every piece of electrical and computer equipment out there, which is basically the end of the world. So I couldn't think of a better way to market Bitcoin. It will survive unless, of course, the world ends. Well, yeah, I'm okay with betting on that because regardless of the outcome there, I'm basically going to lose that bet. So with that, thank you so much for listening to Bitcoin Audible. And until next time, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.